This podcast is sponsored by Tell2App.com. Welcome to The Life of a Networker. On this podcast, we are featuring industry leaders from the network marketing profession to share with you the stories, inspiration, and leadership. Now, here is global business developer, leader in authentic sharing technology, your host, Mr. Mike Fedick. Okay, what's going on to the life of a networker family and friends out there? It's Mike Fedick and Chris here, and we are having some fun today in the studio. We've been doing uh, interviews left and right, but now we're switching it up a little bit, and we're going to do something where we've got a husband and wife on. Uh, it's not the first time, but it's uh, it's the second time, and we love it because it gives people, our listeners out there, a perspective of what it's like to build in this incredible industry as a husband and wife, and these two uh, have been doing it since day one. And so uh, in the studio with us today, it's an honor. It's a privilege. We're grateful and thankful. Tuan and Van, what's going on? How are you guys? We're awesome. How are you? Thank up, you Mike? so much for having us on, by the way. Definitely. Of course. Thank you for being on. And, um, you know, listen, the audience that I that I always set, set you guys up so you know is, is a lot of new people. You know, a lot of new people are downloading the podcast and listening to it. But we're also finding it's people that have been around for a couple of years. And they have been going to the events. They've been plugging in. They've been doing what is the necessary things that they're taught for success, but they're just not there yet, right? They haven't broke that six-figure mark, and they're really looking to get there because they've hung around for two years. They've showed that their commitment is there. So that's pretty much our audience. We're going to talk to both the groups of those people out there. And so just to kick us off a little bit, tell a little bit of the audience who you guys are, where you came from, like where was your start? I know where you got started because we got started in the same original company together, and we do love to smile and laugh and call it the old prepaid legal days because we honor um, you know, where that came from. It was our foundation. But tell us how you guys got started. What was the approach and a little bit of where you are today? So uh, my name is Tuan. A lot of people get mixed up. Tuan, Van, they're not sure who's who. But <laughs> uh, so I actually, my background is uh, uh, I'm actually, I think, like 18 years or so network marketing. Uh, never skipped a beat. Probably maybe took two weeks off or something like that. But, you know, definitely uh, been very consistent with it. Love it. It's been a passion for myself and of course for Van, I'll let her share her story in a little bit. Uh, but I got started actually around 18 years old. Actually, my first experience was when I was 17. Uh, I was going, to, I was in high school, and then one day, uh, one of my friends, uh, Willie, he actually reached out uh, in class. He reached out, it's kind of funny. He actually was in class. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to go to this meeting. There's a lot of guys that are making a lot of money." And then he invited me to the Hilton Hotel right here in Costa Mesa. And uh, I saw a bunch of guys wearing suits, old school. <laughs> and um, it was interesting because uh, to get started was like $420. I don't know how they got that number, but. Well, it's California, right? I mean, I could have right, exactly. in California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a, it was a company, uh, you know, does, they don't, they're not alive anymore, but it's called two by two.net. And then uh, I was introduced to that realm, the, the world of network marketing. I was there for uh, for like a few few months and uh, I only made like $75 but it really gave me a glimpse of the industry because I saw I saw a guy that like he walked out of uh, of like an exotic car and then he was like 20s and I asked him I'm like how did you get that he's like man if you work hard it's very cliche right if you work hard you can get this and I'm like 17 years old very easily to get inspired and uh, that's how I was introduced. Then fast forward, my older brother, 
was in was introduced to a company called Prepaid Legal, and uh, he told me about this event. I went out and I saw a gentleman that shared a testimonial that really inspired me. His name was Craig Hepner. Yeah. And he had like long hair, you know, just uh, talks like a surfer guy. He is a surfer guy. Yeah. Tan. And he just like, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I made $250,000 last year. And I thought, man, that guy, he just looks like a dork. Like, yeah. If he, could, if he could do it, I can do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like how I got started, man. And then, um, you know, I, you know, worked there for a few years. Fast forward. Uh, I met Van uh, through that company. And it was at a sit down. It was actually at a Starbucks at the Block of Orange. And uh, I remember one of my friends. You're cutting into my story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, let, let me let me segue into your story. OK, so and then. But yeah, I remember my friend booked a sit down, said, you got to meet my coworker. She's sharp. Uh, she's going to kill this thing. And then I met her at Starbucks. And I'll let her share that part of the story. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, awesome. um, But I won't share it based on how you say it. Uh, no, I got started in network marketing, like he had mentioned, at 19 years old. Um, I was actually a broke college student working full time, trying to figure out how to pay my bills. And it was it happened to be one evening where I didn't have class. So my coworker kept inviting me out, but I was just too busy with work and school. And he caught me on a night where I didn't have class that evening. So I said, all right, why not? I'm not busy tonight. I'll come out. Sat down at Starbucks and you know what? It, it actually happened to be Tuan doing the sit down. And the story doesn't go the way people think because we're husband and wife now. It literally <laughs> was about business. And he did ask me a very important question was, what would an extra $500 do for you right now? And it was everything because I, you know, if, if I made $500, it would have paid my car payment. It would have paid my insurance, my phone bill. I would have found relief because I was literally going to work at 8 a.m., taking a break at one, going to school, coming back at seven o'clock, leaving at 10 and then uh, doing schoolwork. And I wouldn't go to bed around until four in the morning. So that's how our journey started in network marketing. And yes, years later, we ended up dating and getting married and started a family within this industry. So it's done a lot for us. That's awesome. You know, and, and what a great story because it is, it's, um, Everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different starting point. The one thing that the three of us have in common is we got started at 18 years old and uh, and forever grateful because it's been the best university that I could have ever went to, better than Duke, better than Harvard. Um, and, and, I, and I stand strong with that. And I'm sure you guys do too. But take us on the journey a little bit of, you know, for, for the brand new people that are getting started, right? I know you guys and I know your story. And, and it's fair to say that you didn't make a million dollars your first month uh, in that company. And it'd be really hard to do that on a $25 product too. But uh, at the same time, tell us a little bit of the of the process of when you got started and, and when did success kind of happen? And success could be different for everyone, but let's call it 100 grand a year because I think that's a, a great mark for people to want to get to part-time or spare time or even full-time. But, but what did that journey look like? Because I know it didn't happen overnight for you. What were some of the things um, that you had to do to get to that 100000 and what were some of the activity, uh, maybe some of the things you did as a team builder, as a leader, um, but for the new folks that are listening and what could they do right now to create some of that momentum? Uh, well, I'll say this, you know, I think the journey now uh, is going to be a lot different for a lot of people that are watching their li listeners that are listening to this. And, you know, they're trying to understand, like, how can I be successful at anything in life? I think that now it's a whole lot easier uh, than it was before because you got tools, you have access to things that we didn't have before. But I think you can have all the tools, you can have all the things, the systems and all the stuff like that. But if you don't have the right philosophies, if you don't have that right foundation, 
then you know it's just pointless to to have access to all that stuff because you're not going to know how to utilize it correctly. Uh, but uh, for me, prior to actually Van and I getting together, I remember like back then, like going to hotel meetings was like a big deal. Now they have Zooms. Now you can actually do like different like weekly calls on Zooms together. So it's a whole lot different now. But before I used to had to, I was told to really develop philosophies of being consistent. And one of the ways of being consistent and having that learn that discipline was going to these weekly meetings. Uh, I remember times that I didn't have money. I remember that I just didn't have gas money. Uh, there was more days at the end of the month than the amount of money I was making at my job. And uh, I remember struggling. I remember actually looking for, you know, quarters just to be able to put in, you know, just to have in my hand to be able to actually go to the gas station. I remember giving a uh, giving the the uh, at the gas station. I remember giving like a dollar seventy five or something just to pump gas just yeah. to get to a meeting. <laughs> I remember borrowing my uncle's suit because they back in the days. He used to talk about dress to impress. I understand the philosophy behind it. I know most people don't do it now because now you can actually sit at home and actually do everything on like TikTok or whatever the case is. Right. But back then, they used to tell you to dress up. I remember borrowing my uncle's suit for an entire year. I actually got it for a wedding. And I never returned it for a year and a half until it was like really holy. <laughs> and I had to wear that like blue uh, blue shirt, uh, you know, like khaki pants, whatever, until the, until the thing was actually torn up. And then I bought my first suit. I went to like uh, Marshall's or uh, not Marshall's Macy's. And I bought the kid size Husky, <laughs> you know, cause you know, I'm, I'm like Asian, small, whatever, but <laughs> I got the kid size Husky because that was the one that I only, I found that was super cheap that I could actually afford uh, at the time. So I can actually dress up. So that way I can impress attracting uh, the people to the business. So yeah, the struggle was real for sure. Uh, that, you know, just to give you a quick glimpse, uh, being able to actually find the money to invest in your business. Cause if you're not investing in your business more than anything. If you're not investing in yourself, then you're not really investing in your business. And, uh, a lot of times it was investing in the books to read, be able to listen to different audios, uh, you know, learn, putting the money into buy nice outfits, dressing the part, uh, and all that isn't really to like fake it till you make it, but more or less, it was like me as a young entrepreneur, learning the discipline of what it takes to be an entrepreneur is learning how to invest in yourself, develop yourself as a person, growing. All that stuff is very important because today at 37 years old, I feel super confident. I feel like I feel absolute certainty that I can be successful in anything I do if I put my mind to it. But that's not because of the tools, but that's because of having the right mentors, putting the right discipline in place for me, shaping my values. And then from there, obviously meeting Van and her and I teaming up together, uh, we're able to bounce off each other and be able to, every time I fall, she's there to pick me up. Every time she falls, I'm there to pick her up. We both quit all the time. We just make sure that at least one of us didn't quit the same time that the other person quit. So that way the other person says, hey, I'm not quitting, keep going. And that really helps a lot, having someone to be your workout partner in life as well. So that's my that's, journey. That's awesome. Van, on, on that same kind of note, as, as a wife and, and, and for the people that are listening in, because a lot of them are married. There are people that are listening in right now that some of them have a supportive spouse and that, that does happen. But a lot of times it's not that way. It's the spouse who's not supportive. So and a two-part question here is, 
how does somebody really deal with an unsupportive spouse and what could they do to get maybe get some more support? But then on another side of it, where you and, and, and Tuan have always teamed up and partnered up, what are some of the benefits of, of really jiving with your partner? Where, where, where can you really excel your business by working together? Yeah, so we get asked that question a lot. So at the end of the day, the lack of support from a significant other is simply lack of communication. The fact is that person, whether it's a wife or a husband, they don't really know why you're doing what you're doing because you fail to go into details as to what you're working towards. A lot of times what happens in, in a relationship is all they're seeing is the failure because they don't see the money coming in but they're not a part of the process of the journey. So if you welcome them into it, now I get it. There's some couples where they don't even want to be involved, but the sheer fact is, think about it. If you were a husband or a wife and you had your significant other sit down, look you in the eye and tell you, I am doing all of this. I'm going through this process. This is what I'm experiencing because I ultimately envision this for our family. This is what I want. This is ultimately what I'm working towards. Guys, in my opinion, if, if anyone ever said that to me, my kids, my parents, my, my brother, my sister, of course I would support them because I love them. And so the reason why people don't support is just because they lack to see what your vision is ultimately for what you want for your family and they can't understand those sacrifices. So until you communicate that, they're always going to be not supportive. So um, to answer the second question, how do I see the power behind partnering up? I mean, it took years of arguing. We're not perfect. And to answer that question with Tuan too, the journey of success, the reality of it is you just have to have the right expectations to know you're not going to be perfect in the beginning. You're not going to know everything, but you're going to go through this massive learning curve. And if you can change your philosophy of how you view mistakes, instead of seeing it as something negative, but seeing it as a positive thing where every time you make a mistake, you're just learning to get better. That's kind of how I, I feel with relationships. For Tuan and I being married and working together, it took years of arguing, you know, ego getting in the, in the way. I can do what he does. I, he can do what I do. And it went back and forth. And it got to a point where Tuan and I realized there are strengths that I carry that are his weakness. And he respects that. There are strengths that Tuan has that are my weaknesses. And I had to humble myself enough to say, this is why we make a, per- a perfect partnership. Because what I'm not good at, he makes up for it. And what he's not good at, I make up for it. And that's how we've been able to partner for so long in, what, 16 years in the industry now? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's amazing. And, you know, what a, what a beautiful answer, because I think that's going to really help bring some clarity for those that are listening in on both sides, A or B, and depending on where you are. But but more importantly, as, as each of you are listening, the idea here, as you take nuggets, if you say, well, I'm not married, I don't need to worry about that, but you're going to recruit someone who is married. So yeah. be, be understanding now and understand that. So let's, let's stay kind of in this, this realm here and, and move into a, a category that I know both of you are passionate about. Um, and, and, and I know that many of the listeners uh, probably have finally got a book, uh, maybe for the first time in their career that they're reading a book now, or they're listening to an audio but coming from the early days of where we came from, if you didn't know personal development or breathe it, you really weren't in the company. What has personal development done for you guys? And what are the what's the importance for these new listeners that are stepping into an industry that maybe some people could judge it as cuckoo, right? We get a little excited sometimes, but there's a reason why is that that we're, we, we are on a different level. We are seeing things different because we have adopted personal development in our lives. And so what has it meant to you guys over the years? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I will say this, you know, 
people are always pursuing different things, always chasing after success. And success, by definition, is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it is a relationship, you know, or, you know, it could be uh, fitness, all right? Whatever the case is, it could be a bunch of different things. To me and Van, uh, we define success as all of it, right? You got to have a balanced life. You got to have the financial, you got to have the quality relationships and you got to have time with your kids and all those things, right? These are all very, very important, but you can't pursue all that. You have to attract it. And so the biggest saying that I've always learned from Jim Rohn is success isn't what you pursue. It's what you attract by being an attractive person. And the only way you can attract that is by becoming attractive. And it's not about being attractive physically, although that can help. But attraction is more about who you are inside that bleeds out, right? If you're pouring in yourself so much that it actually overflows and people can actually feel it, that you're attracting it. And then naturally you're attracting the, the, the things that you want in your life, you know? So if you want a, some, you want a mentor that shows you how to be successful financially, well, you got to actually work on yourself at your best, do your part and you're reading and you're listening to podcasts like this. And then eventually you're attracting those mentors because like attracts alike. And uh, I always look at it like it's like a computer, right? You're constantly downloading different things all the time, right? You're downloading this app, you're downloading this app, you're downloading this app. Or it's like a phone, right? You're downloading different apps all the time. Every month, you're downloading at least one or two new apps a month because you're, whether, whether it's like learning this or learning that. But most of the time, people don't, uh, they don't actually play with it right away. And that's what personal development is. You're downloading all these apps, but once that life event happen, that's when you install it, right? That's when, that's when you actually like pressing that button and it starts like going in circles. And then basically you're installing it because that you're preparing yourself for that life event. And if you're not preparing for it, when that happens, then you're going to learn it through mistakes, but yeah. it's always better that you actually take in all the information first so that you create awareness for yourself. So for me personally, how I feel about personal development, it's really simple. Uh, I've gone through my own journey of discovery. And at the end of the day, we all have triggers that that causes self-sabotage. That That's the only reason and that's the only answer as to why you're not where you're at is because when you take a deep look within yourself, you realize when you get to a certain point, fear starts to kick in and you don't realize that subconsciously you're doing action that prevent you from getting to where you're at because you have that fear of what you don't know what the unknown looks like. And so what I look at personal development is in the very beginning, it's kind of funny to be completely open and honest with, I looked at personal development as I used to read it in a way where I'm going to fix you. You're the problem. And I kept pointing at other people, like you're the reason why it's not working. So let me fix you. And then I had my own slap in the face and realize, no, personal development is personal, right? It's something that I have to internalize, reflect upon and see why do I get these triggers when it happens? And when you start to create the awareness, like Tuan said, it's not like anyone is perfect. Everyone is a human being that has natural human instincts that have feelings. But your number one goal is you want to stop the triggers from creating those bad habits. So what personal development's done for me in the 16 plus years as I continue to do it, is just constantly creating that awareness that the moment I'm about to trigger that's when awareness kicks in and I stop the bad habit before it actually goes through and it messes up whatever goal I was trying to achieve 
or whatever that I'm looking to do or elevate myself to the next level. So that's how I, I treat personal development is I'm just constantly seeking for more self-awareness and just finding the best version of me and presenting that so that I become attractive, like what Swan said. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and, you know, and, and I agree with you guys in, in so many different ways, but, you know, for me, as I, I went through a course and I promoted it a few times on the podcast, I have no financial ties to it <laughs> at all. Uh, I wish I did. I'd probably be a millionaire because a lot of people have been following it, but uh, I don't. And I do it because I love to help people. And uh, Tony Robbins and his wife, um, Sage were interviewing Michael Singer, and he is the author of The Untethered Soul. And when you talk about personal development, that's one level. Then you go to the highest level possible, which is The Untethered Soul. It's as deep as you can go. But inside of that interview, Tony Robbins is interviewing Michael Singer. And when Tony says it was not only the greatest course that he's ever taken, and when Tony Robbins says that, it's a pretty aha moment. But then when him and his wife binged watched it twice, it's an eight session course and about an hour and 15 minutes each training, um, we went and got it. And now I'm on my third or fourth time. I think I'm my fourth time. Uh, Kim has also uh, taken it herself and she's actually given it to all of her leaders, her top uh, income earners in her group. They all have now finished off the eight week course and it's been remarkable. And I, and I share this with the audience because in that course is so much about some things that even Tuan had said, but you, as you get rid of some crap, right? We all hold a bunch of crap inside of us. That crap is, is, is ugly. It's murky. It's not attracting to people and people can feed it. They can read off your energy. When you release that crap and you start putting in positive stuff inside of your body, you start to glow. When you walk outside, your friends, I promise you, if you start reading good books and listening to audios and releasing crap from yourself, your friends and your close people will notice something different. They'll even ask you. Some will make fun of you. And that's a good thing. That means you're changing in a way that they're still at level one now. You're moving to level three. So you guys hit it right on the nail. Let's talk about one of the most favorite things I know you guys love. And it's, it comes from, again, our foundation of where we all started because uh, most of the top leaders in that first company you guys were with built their organizations with culture. And you guys have carried that on. I've watched you. I've watched you take your team shopping in Louis Vuitton stores and done a lot of different stuff. But talk about rewards, recognition, and culture within your organization. And remember, somebody might be brand new and they go, well, I don't have anybody on my team. That's okay. You got to start now thinking about it with maybe a potluck or just a, a picnic or something, right? But tell us a little bit about what you guys have done with culture and the importance of it and what it's meant to you over the years. So, I mean, culture is everything. And, and I think maybe the Asian background in us kind of gave us that, uh, that upper advantage because family is everything. And um, to, to Tuan and I, the core of our foundation behind anything that we ever do in our businesses, it's always been relationship. Number one, we want people to know that they're more important to us as friends and family than the profits that they can make for the organization. So from day one, I think from prepaid legal days to when they they would throw crazy parties and everyone would want to go to our parties, right? I just remember yeah. the wild parties that people would have at David Boo's house and it was yeah. so much fun. But um, doing all of that stuff, it really comes from Twan and I's heart that we pay attention to what our team tells us. We, we make sure we remember their kid's name, what they love, those little things that they mentioned in conversations, both Twan and I try to make it apparent that we listen to them we gift them. We, we say thank you to them with things that they, they love, that they share with us. And that is why it's so important to understand your team. Because at the end of the day, it's like that old cliche saying, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? 
So for Tuana and I, culture, why is it so important? Because think about it. People come because of the flash of the money and what they could do. But why do most people stick around? It's because of the relationship that you develop with them. And because of that relationship, it makes them stay consistent. And eventually they figure it out and they stick around long enough to witness their own success. So uh, culture is very big for Tuan and I, and we always make it a number one priority that we become friends with our organization and we never put profits before people. I love it. Tuan, anything on that? Well, uh, I mean, Van actually just hit it really well. I mean, friends before finance, you know, uh, in, in that first company, actually, I was very fortunate to get mentored by a gentleman by the name of David Stecky. David was a great man, uh, passed away in his late forties, uh, from pancreatic cancer. And I talk about him all the time. I think there's not a month that goes by. I don't talk about him. I spent a year with him. I and I felt like, yeah. I, I felt like I learned so much from him. And one of the biggest things that he taught me was what he did as an example. I remember showing him to the, uh, the trainings, uh, every week. And I was an 18 year old kid at the event after the event was done. There was all these people circling up with him and wanting to talk to him, but you spent hours just learning from him. Why do you want to spend more time with this guy? And he made sure that he shook each person's hand. He gave each person a hug uh, that he could. And he even at some many times, he actually would talk for them for 30 minutes. It was crazy. But I didn't have time to talk to him because everyone was swarming around him. And I waited and he always looked at me, he goes, don't go, don't, don't leave, don't leave. And I would just wait and it would literally be like, I don't know, the, the event was already done at 8.30 or 9 o'clock or something like that. But it'd be like 11 o'clock at night. He's like, hey, you want to help me move these tools into my, uh, my, my SUV? Sure. I actually started picking up all the tools, the videos or whatever it was, put them in the SUV and we would sit. He, like, he would tell me, sit on the curb. Just Let's just chat. And it would be sitting on the curb at the Hyatt Hotel outside. It'd be 11 o'clock at night. And he's like a 40-something man, right? And I'm an 18-year-old kid. You know what he talked to me about? Talked to me about weed. <laughs> you know? He talked to me about marijuana. He's like, man, I used to get high all the time, man. I love it. He'd crack jokes about it. His wife would call him, and you, he would put her on speakerphone. And then she'd be like, David, how come you're not coming home yet? What time is it right now? He's like, I'll be home. I'm on my way. But he would sit there for like 45 minutes, talk to me about weed, partying, going to clubs. I'm like, this guy's like probably on his way to 50 years old. What is he trying to do? Like, I don't get it. But now years later, I've come to realize that all he wanted to do was let me know that I'm safe. You can trust me. I'm your friend. Yeah. And uh, ever since then, uh, I've, I've always spent more time uh, just trying my best to be compassionate about relationships as much as possible in, in, in the house and outside the house in business. Uh, because you got to have fun. You know, I always have fun with my kids. I always joke around with Van all the time, have fun with her. And whenever I'm on the phone with a bunch, you know, people that we work with, I'm always having fun cracking jokes because I think that it's all about the relationships. It yeah. always is. No, it's so true. And, and, uh, and, and rest in peace for David Stecky. I, I remember Kim uh, and then put a big fundraiser on for him, raised a bunch of money. I think it was like 25 or 50 grand for his wife and, 
And, uh, and I remember those times and, and he was a special person. And so uh, that's awesome that you had that time. And, and yeah, he was talking to you because you were 18 and what could you relate to? You could relate to those things he was talking about. That's, that's what a great networker does. They, they find what people's either passions are or what people are going through in their life and they hit those pinpoints. And all of a sudden, like you said, it brings trust. It's like, holy cow, this guy's cool. Like he's not like a, a, a Catholic school teacher where I can't share something with him. I'm going to get a spanking, but uh, <laughs> what a great story. And thanks for sharing that. Let's wrap up with this last piece because we've kind of talked about your journey in the beginning what's good for new people, personal growth, culture, all of that. But then at the end, it all ties into your making money now. For our listeners out there, you got to your five grand a month now. You're at $88,000 a month. You're making six figures. Where do most networkers screw up? They spend all their money. And you're talking to one right here who's interviewing this group because, man, did I know how to spend it. In fact, I was really good. I used to make five and I would spend seven. So I was even better at spending it than I was at making it. Um, But quickly, not quickly, it took a while. Uh, lately in these last few years, have I really developed a, a financial education, you know, and, and one part of financial education, the very first part is pay your taxes. It's a really good thing to do, but talk to us here, just wrapping up is, and, and we don't have to give financial advice. And by the way, we are not giving financial advice. Although, um, we are here on a podcast talking about money. We're just giving you a story of things that we have done and mistakes we've made. And we hope that you don't make those same mistakes. So no financial advice. But let's talk about now you're making money in network marketing. What are some things that you guys have either made mistakes in the past, but now what do you do um, maybe percentage wise or a couple avenues of where you put your money um, and, and, to, and to be safe with it and to be smart? So uh, I guess I'll go into that because we I think we all have experienced the same thing Is I wish in normal school they would teach you real life skills. And money management is definitely one of those things that I would vote for. So um, I think we have similar stories that when we hit a point where we were making good income, we were spending more than we were actually making. And yes, we forgot to put money aside to pay our taxes because you weren't taught that because normally you have a W-2 that automatically does it for you, right? So there's a couple of stepping stones. Um, We got through that portion of the struggle in the finances and uh, it all came to a halt in 2011 was when we were literally at our lowest point financially. And the one piece of advice that created massive awareness to put all the puzzle pieces together from the books that we were reading, but didn't necessarily make sense, was our accountant at the time told us that in order for you to get ahead in life, as your income increases, your lifestyle needs to stay the same. And when he said that, it just clicked into my brain like that totally makes sense because the reality of it is what people tend to do is when your income grows, your lifestyle starts to grow because you want to keep up with the Joneses, right? And Robert Kiyosaki used to always say, never buy a liability unless you have assets that are going to pay it off. And so what we ended up doing was from 2011, um, moving forward, Tuan and I became super, super, super frugal with our income. We spent money where it was important, where we felt it was an investment towards our business, but everything else, like the Louis Vuittons, the, the nice stuff, it didn't come because we realized we can put $2,000 into a purse or we can take that money and invest it somewhere else that can spit out some cash flow for us to eventually afford that $2,000 purse. So our biggest piece of advice, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki was a huge distant mentor to us, where for us, we made sure that we got to a point where we were living so below our means that more money was being put into our savings and set aside for our taxes. And it got us to a point where we started investing and diversifying. And that's our biggest piece of advice. 
If network marketing is your main uh, cash cow that's going to bring in the income, you got to look at everything like a stream of income. Don't look at it and put all your eggs in one basket. You got to look at it is if this is bringing in income, respect it. If that's bringing in income, you got to respect that. Pile it all up and have a future plan of how you want to diversify because they say that most seven-figure earners, not necessarily just in network marketing, millionaires, they have at least seven streams of income minimum coming in for themselves. And this was really important for me to understand because Robert Kiyosaki talked about it in the cash cash flow quadrant. He said that you ultimately want to have your hands in everything because if something happens, then uh, like if the economy becomes unpredictable, it doesn't impact your lifestyle because when one thing goes out, you have something else to replace it. And I remember him, I don't know if it was a YouTube video I saw or a podcast I was listening to, but he said, you're truly not an entrepreneur until you dictate your own economy. And that was so powerful for Tuan and I. And so that's our biggest piece of advice is right now, whether you're brand new to the industry or you're the middle or you're you're high up there, but you haven't quite gotten to the financial side of it. The biggest piece of advice I would give everyone is make sure you live the lowest means possible. Sacrifice that time, stack cash and start figuring out how to diversify your income. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, it's so true. And, and anytime you need to be humble, just get around someone really wealthy and have them show you some of their financials and it'll really humble you. Like, for example, I was with Brian Carruthers for his 50th birthday party and I thought I was doing great. And Brian shows me an app and it's got a $20 million in it uh, from investments. And I've just I just wanted to pull my head and go, holy cow, like to see $20 million. And, you know, kudos to Brian. He's really, he is the example of the million dollar earner turning their investment into 10x what he's ever made in network marketing. And, and, uh, and I just believe in that so much. And so uh, Van and Tuan, uh, on behalf of the life of a networker, myself and Chris, we thank you guys so much. It's been one of the best interviews ever. Uh, I know it's going to explode because people just are going to find so much value uh, in your answers. And we are just grateful for you. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank we you. appreciate you guys inviting us. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Life of a Networker. We really hope you have gotten some inspiration or value from listening to our show. For more info or to reach out, visit us at thelifeofanetworker.com. This podcast is sponsored by the Tell2 app, powered by RapidFunnel. It's not just another app. It's an entirely new technology category. The Tell2 app gives you a genuine way to build real relationships with your customers and get quality referrals with less work from you. Go to tell2app.com and build your brand, your way, and tell your story better.